Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. We're going to go back to Amos today. We're going to be in Amos chapter, I guess if you want to hit the middle of where we're going to be, you could go to Amos chapter 5, and we'll bounce around a little bit while we're there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have a Bible at all, there are Bibles that are there in the chair racks in front of you. And if you don't know where to find Amos, and let's be honest, lots of us don't, uh, the Bibles in the chair racks are going to be on page 767. 767. Kind of a lousy day, cold, rainy. I can't wait till it's back to 88. Who's with me? Okay, we got a few people. I feel like 88 is the perfect temperature. You can be in the shade and you're still warm. A lot of people shaking their heads at me, not, not fans of 88. I like 88. I think that's a great spot to be in. So hopefully this is our last, what is it, in the 50s right now? My goodness. Hopefully this is our last day in the 50s and we can get back to the Florida we want to live in. At least I want to live in. <laughs> All right, you should be in Amos chapter 5. We'll get there in just a few moments. About a a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, uh, some articles started coming out uh, that concerned the largest evangelical denomination in the United States. And in these articles that were coming out about the largest evangelical denomination in the United States, we learned that this denomination had a somewhat secret list of that they had been compiling over the last 15 to 20 years of abusive pastors. And this list of abusive pastors was not kept in order to do right by the victims, to help the victims, to seek justice for those who have been victims, or to prevent these pastors from continuing on In the ministry. In fact, rather than seeking justice for those they had abused, the attorneys of this denomination advised them instead to do nothing. Because if they were to do something, it would make them liable and there would be costs associated with them that could stretch into the millions. And so, in many cases, these pastors were just moved from one congregation to another, from one pulpit to another so that they could fall into the same abusive patterns again. And not only did this happen, but those in charge of the denomination uh, said this about the uncovering of the abuse in leadership. They called it, and I quote, a satanic scheme meant to completely distract us from evangelism. End quote. God's people are capable of perpetrating great injustice. Church history bears that out. Our own experiences in this world bear it out. This is nothing new. It was something that was going on in Amos' time. Last week, we began by highlighting three major issues that God had with his people. We are now in our third sermon through the book of Amos. Many of us have have never heard a sermon series through the book of Amos. 
Many of us have never even read the book of Amos. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is because Amos is a hard book to read. Amos is filled to the brim in just nine short chapters with a lot of judgment. And we get tired of reading about judgment, and so we skip ahead quickly to get back to Jesus in the Gospels. But Amos has some really important things to say to us as God's people. And as I've been telling you, Amos is sent with a word from the Lord to his people, and he in essence has to to confront them with three ways in which they are not measuring up. And he has this vision of a plumb line, and I'm going to bring it back so I can show it to you again. This is what it looks like. And I want to thank the many, many people who came up to me afterwards to say, the thing on the end is a plumb bob. The line is actually the plumb line. We have a surprising number of plumb line experts. which I did not see coming. But this is impar- por- apparently very important to people in our church that I know that this thing is the plumb bob. And I don't know who names these things. This is a plumb line. And Amos has this vision of this plumb line that God gives him to show, to, to hold up to the people in essence and show them where they are crooked where they are not straight, where they are not living their lives straight according to God's word that he had revealed to them. Those three issues are found in the opening indictment of Amos against the people in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and then they are expanded upon throughout the book. So remember, Amos was sent to, to confront them about their materialism, and so last week we talked about the fact that God's people need to have a godly relationship with with wealth. Wealth in and of itself is not wrong. In fact, prosperity can be a very good thing when it's used for God's purposes, but it is very dangerous in the hands of ungodly people. And so we have to make sure that we have a healthy relationship with wealth. He also confronts them about their injustices and also their false worship. And today, today, we want to see what Amos had to say about their injustice. I want to read Amos chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, because there are four categories of people that were the prime recipients of these injustices that Amos comes to confront. And so, you can flip there to Amos chapter 2 if you want, or you can read it on the screen behind me as I read it. Here's what the Bible says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel... And for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth, and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Now, you can see just from a quick reading there that there are four categories of people who are mentioned. The first category of people are The righteous, and you might think of these people as the innocent. That's what the Bible is talking about when it uses this word righteous. It's talking about people who are innocent and yet who are taken advantage of. The other categories there are the needy, the poor, the afflicted. And of course, there can be all kinds of overlap between these four categories of people. And this is not an exhaustive list of 
all the sorts of categories of people, because if we read through the rest of the Bible, we see that God has particular concern for the fatherless. He has particular concern for the widows. He has particular concern for immigrants and people who are sojourning in a particular land. But these are the categories that are mentioned by Amos, and these people uh, tend to be taken advantage of. They are on the receiving end of injustices because they tend to be categories of people who are more vulnerable in society. And the injustices against these four groups of people are going to be mentioned again and again as we go through the book. So let me just take you on a really brief tour so you can see what I'm talking about. We're not going to look at every example of this, but let's just go on a whirlwind tour through Amos so we can get kind of a flavor of what God is saying to his people there. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 9, he says this, Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and, and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. Now, there's some imagery that we're supposed to conjure up here. What, what God is, is in essence doing is saying, Gather the pagan nations from around, have them almost like give them tickets to come assemble themselves in an arena around the mountains of, of Samaria. This is the northern kingdom of Israel. Let them have tickets and assemble themselves for the show. Let's show them what's going on in your midst. Let's show them how God's, let's, let's take back the curtain and show them how God's people are really acting. Let's show them the tumult that's there. Let's see the oppression that is there in their midst. Another reference is found in Amos chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. There the Bible says, Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Now we got several examples of their injustice in this passage, right? It starts with one that is probably going to be near and dear to the heart of many Americans. The subject of unjust taxation. We got our start that way. We have tea parties when we don't like the way we are being taxed. And there was unjust taxation that was, that was being aimed particularly at the poor. And those who had the power were basically building their own wealth for themselves on the back of unjust taxation for the poor. And so they live in houses that are, that are made out of the finest materials and they are planting themselves vineyards, and God wants Amos to go and tell those people, you can build the houses out of those finest materials, and you can plant those vineyards, but guess what? You're not going to live in them, and you're not going to taste the wine from them, because judgment was coming. Exile was coming. In just 50 years, the nation of Assyria was going to completely overrun the northern kingdom and, depo and deport 
all but the poorest in the land to disperse them in other places throughout the empire. Not only do we see unfair taxation there, but we also see the affliction of the righteous, which is once again referring to the innocent. We see the willingness to take bribes, and we see them uh, turning aside the needy in the gate. That might be unfamiliar language to us, but remember in ancient times, a lot of times the, 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 the political and, and criminal justice matters were taken care of in the gates of the city. So when you see the city gates, we might put this in our modern vernacular, the courthouse. So the people who are coming to the city gate or they're coming to the courthouse to lodge their complaints, to try to get justice for their causes, and yet at the very place where they ought to receive justice, where they ought to have a a listening ear for the injustices that befall them, they're actually turned aside. Remember, God says, get the Philistines, get the Egyptians, assemble them. Let's show them what's really going on here. All right. Our next reference in our whirlwind tour of injustice to the book of Amos is found in Amos chapter 8, verses 4 to 6. The Bible says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain in the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great. So an ephah is a unit of measurement, something like the pound, for instance. So you can measure out a a pound or an ephah of grain. And the shekel great, that's a unit of currency, the dollar great. And deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. We talked about this just a little bit last week, but they have such a preoccupation with materialism that they cannot wait for the Sabbath to be over. Remember, God's people were were governed by, by times and seasons that were broken out into weeks and months and years, and they were in these prescribed times. Uh, They were unable to to work or do business or to do commerce. They had one day out of seven that was to be a ceasing of their labors. So something that was intended to be a gift from God to remind them that you don't have to work your fingers to the bone. You don't have to work every single day to provide for your needs. You can take a full day off with the full assurance that I will provide for you. All they could think about during the Sabbath is when it would be over. All they could think about during the festivals of the new moon and the other things that God had instituted with their feasts is when they could be over so they could go back to making money, and not just so they could go back to making money, but so they could go back to making money in an unjust way. If they could could play with the scale so that it measured a pound when it was actually only three quarters of a pound. If if they could if if they could uh, do other things to make the pound small so that they could make the dollar great, they could mix some of the chaff with the wheat so that maybe they could stretch it and they could sell more wheat because it's mixed with chaff. They have all of these unfair business practices that they are using once again. Amos says primarily 
aimed at people whom they could take advantage of. People who, for instance, might go to the city gate for justice and find none. That's what's going on. And God's love for justice isn't just an Amos thing. The Hebrew word that is translated justice in Amos appears at least 418 times in the Old Testament. So we've got plenty of data to work with to let us know that this is something that is important to God. In fact, in our community groups, those that do sermon-based discussion, We'll be talking, you'll be talking a little bit more about some of those references, which we just don't have time to talk about today. But, Amos, chapter 6, and verse 12, then puts it this way to just kind of sum things up. In Amos, chapter 6, and verse 12, the Bible says, But you have turned... Justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Here's what he's saying here. Uh, We've all seen people on the news who have experienced some sort of tragedy. We all have, uh, we've all seen, I think every, every community has that one reporter that's the, that's the person that goes out and makes things right. And I don't ever watch the news, so I'm sure we've got one on every channel, but I, I don't know what their names are. But you probably know if you watch the news. Uh, we've probably got a guy or a girl that if you have a tough thing, you go to him or you go to her, and they, they, go, to the, they go to the landlord that is, is taking advantage of somebody, and they stick a, a, a microphone in their, in, their, in their face and a camera, and they go and make things right. Okay, when, when something when some wrong is done to you, what do people say? We say, we just want justice. And yet, how many times does justice go unserved? And what, it, what a bitter pill it is to swallow for a person seeking justice but finding it nowhere. Wormwood is, is the idea of something that's, that's bitter. And when we live in, in or experience injustice, we have the taste of, of bitterness in our mouths. Amos shares then God's heart for his people in Amos chapter 5 and verse 24, which is probably the one verse from the book of Amos that everyone has heard. Amos chapter 5 and verse 24, this is, this is God heart, God's heart for justice for his people. He says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Just kind of savor that image for a moment. Roll that image around in your mind a little bit. I'll tell you the image that comes to my mind when I think of this idea of justice rolling down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. There is this valley that I'm not going to try to pronounce in Switzerland. And this valley in Switzerland, you've probably seen pictures of it. You've probably seen videos of it. 
It's been a place where, where movies are filmed. Lord of the Rings had stuff filmed there. But this valley in Switzerland has 72 waterfalls in it. So it's this lush green valley. And on either side of this valley where there are these little villages that every stereotype of what it looks like to live in Switzerland, like every Swiss Miss package that you buy at Walmart that kind of has that picture of the, the chateau or the chalet on it, it looks like that. And you see the, the, this valley at, at the bottom of these cliffs that are at the foot of the Alps. So it's warm there at the bottom of this valley, and it's, and it's green. And yet, as you go through this valley, there are 72 breathtaking waterfalls of clear glacier water that are falling down these, these steep uh, uh, cliff faces, and they're going through rivers that, that feed this valley. And it looks like something that you would put on a postcard, because it is something you put on a postcard. People go on vacation there all the time. They go to, to hike there and bike there and stay there to see this beautiful place, these beautiful crystal clear waters flow. And that's what justice looks like. It's a place of beauty, a place of righteousness, a place of health, a place of greenness. It's a place where you want to be. It's a society in which it is a joy to live. It's a church in which it is a joy to live. And so, through Amos, God tells his people this in Amos chapter 5 and verse 15. He says, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. Remember, the gate is the courts. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Remember I told you last week that that, that there are these 12 tribes that make up the nation, and one of the things that the Old Testament does to confuse us as modern-day readers, but not to confuse them, is refers to the nation by some of the tribal names. And so it's talking about, when it's talking about Joseph, it's talking about the people of Israel, and particularly here, the northern kingdom that Amos is speaking to. All right, that's a, a quick whirlwind tour through this issue in Amos. And I hope you can see that we've just tried to make a few stops along the way and show the injustices that are being perpetrated by God's people that God wants Amos to point out. He wants to hold that plumb line up to them and show them where they are not living in line with God's desires for them. And the point for them is just as true for us today that I want you to think about for a few moments this morning. God desires His people... To have his heart for justice. God desires his people to have his heart for justice. So how can we do that? How can we as God's people have his heart for justice? I'll make 
two suggestions to you. The first one is by cultivating God's heart for justice. By cultivating God's heart for justice. Cultivating is one of my favorite sermon words. I use it all the time, you might notice. And I use it all the time for a reason. I use it because so much of what God calls us as Christians to do, as those who inhabit his kingdom, as those who follow Jesus, so much of what God calls us to do requires the work of cultivation. We are more fans of microwaving, but they didn't have microwaves. And most of the things that God wants us and wants to do in our hearts and wants us to look like and be can't be microwaved. They can't be brought about by by instantaneous means. They are things that are cultivated over time. And when you think about cultivation, that brings to mind uh, agricultural sort of imagery to us in which you have to make sure that the soil conditions are right and you have to make sure that the right things are planted in the right soil at the right times and the right places. And then you have to feed those things that you have planted and you have to weed out the things that might choke out those sprouts that come out of the ground. And you have to make sure they receive the proper water and the proper sun. And then when they start to grow, sometimes you have to attach them to some sort of trellis or, or stand of some kind to make sure that they grow up properly. And all of that, right, is the imagery of cultivation, which means it takes work. It means it doesn't just happen. So we, I'm suggesting need to be farmers, in a sense, where we cultivate God's heart for justice. And I think that everything that I have said up to this point is pretty straightforward, right? Uh, We've gone through the book of Amos. I've read you what the Bible says. I've given you some stats of this word justice as it's used throughout the Old Testament. But I'm willing to bet that some of us are at least uh, a little concerned right now. Because that word justice makes us uncomfortable. It might even make some of us suspicious. Because we have been told by others, you better be careful... When your pastor uses that word, he means this. That's code for this. And I I can't convince you otherwise. So if that's where you're at, I'm not going to be able to convince you otherwise. But that's, that's not what's going on here. What we're trying to do is be ruthlessly biblical. And sometimes church people don't like ruthlessly biblical. We like it. Moderately biblical. (laughs) Biblical enough. Thank you very much. (laughs) I think some of us might get uncomfortable when we talk about this, or maybe even downright suspicious, because matters of justice are by their very nature political issues, right? When we start talking about the poor, 
when we start talking about the oppressed, when we start talking about some of these issues, we cannot, we, we are not able to talk about them apart from the political arena because they are, they are intimately connected to our politics and they are intimately connected to our policies and the way we think about whether we are conservative or liberal and what these good policies are. And then those things are further muddied because not only are they political, but they become politicized. And one of the things that we fear the most is that we might not send the right virtue signals to the people that we most want approval from. Now, I will be very honest with you, as I always try to be. I have, I've been nervous, frankly, to preach this sermon. Because I've had these conversations. But I think, I I think this is true. Sometimes we are, as Christians, are far more discipled by our news outlets than we are by the Bible itself. And I think some of us can't tell the difference. Wouldn't it be just like our enemy, the devil, play a little shell game with us where we see misuses of justice issues in our society. We see in our society matters of, of, that everyone is saying are matters of justice that are actually matters of injustice. Or we see people with with wrong agendas or or anti-biblical assumptions. We see people who can only see through the lens of oppressor and oppressed. We see those sorts of things, and then our news outlets steal and misappropriate a word like woke. They cause it to mean something different now than it used to mean, and then we take that word and we slap it on anything that has the word justice attached to it or to anything that's liberal and I don't like. Now you know why I was nervous to talk to you. We can do better than that, church. In fact, you have to do better. If our underlying assumption is that the conservatism that we experience in our culture right now is pretty much aligned with the Bible... I don't think you understand the Bible. I know I'm saying hard things. But I I don't think we really understand the Bible. The Bible says some crazy stuff. (laughs) Furthermore, If we are are committed to being 
ruthlessly biblical, then what's going to happen is that is going to often put us at odds with both sides. And you're going to feel homeless. And we don't like that feeling. It's unsettling to us. And so we want to be on a side. And I don't think Jesus will let us. In fact, Jesus told us not to be surprised when the world hates us. And you can get hate from both sides. So, what is it going to mean to cultivate God's heart for justice? It means that we may have to reject some of the categories that we are being discipled in as we, it's going to pick up my phone that I'm not holding, scroll and watch and read. Is your perspective on matters of justice primarily shaped by our screens? Or is it primarily shaped by the word? Let's get our tools. Let's get our gardening stuff. Let's go to work. God desires his people to have his heart for justice. And we do this first by cultivating God's heart for justice And secondly, by cultivating God's hands for justice. thought about the wording of that a little bit. It's a little weird. Cultivating God's hands for justice. But I think when we're done, you'll understand what I'm trying to say. So in Amos, we've seen that God's picture that he gives for his people is for, for justice to roll down like waters, for righteousness to be like this this stream, this this 72 waterfall valley of just abundance and beauty. But justice is not something that's just to be celebrated as an ideal. It is not something that we are only to experience as a concept, as something to to think about. Well, wouldn't that be nice if that was the case? Because we also saw that God, through Amos, Instructed his people to hate evil, love good, and establish justice. Which means that if we're going to have a biblical shaping of our worldview, then justice isn't just an, uh, an idea that we encounter, it's a thing we do. It's something that can be established. It requires our, our hands and our feet, our minds, our mouths, our money. Part of it is simply being aware. Many of us are unaware because we are untouched. And I'll just say it's not your problem until it's your problem. It's amazing how easy it is to not care until it touches you. I find that in my own heart. But part of the problem in Amos' day was that the needy were turned aside at the gate. They're not able to receive justice in the courts. Let me give you a couple of examples in our own society of injustice in the courts. I'm trying to pick the least. Yeah, I already see some people like, oh boy, you're really, really going in here. 
I'm going to try to give you some examples that I think are less lightning rod examples so I can ease you into the pool. A man by the name of Matt Martins is a criminal defense attorney in D.C. He's clerked for the Supreme Court. He's a Christian. He's written a book called Reforming Criminal Justice, A Christian Proposal. And as one who's had 25-plus years of, of experience in the criminal justice system, he points out some of the, the challenges that it faces. For instance, the Sixth Amendment promises the right to a speedy trial. The Eighth Amendment prohibits excessive bail or sentences. So these, these two amendments are intended to work together for just due process. But criminal defendants are regularly jailed for years before trial. In fact, one man in 2019 spent eight years in jail before he was acquitted. He didn't have the money to make bail, and he was not given a speedy trial, and he lost eight years of his life to be found not guilty. Now, I tried to put that in, in terms that made sense for me. I tried to put myself in that position. I've got a daughter who's a freshman in college. That means I lose her, I leave her in fifth grade, and I meet her again when she's in college. That's, that's eight years. Now, it doesn't matter unless it happens to you. Right? Furthermore, prosecutors often threaten unjustly severe sentences to those who go to trial and promise lenient sentences if the defendants plead out instead. So basically, we will throw every law in the book at you that we possibly can and promise you 100 years in jail, or you can plead for five. And many people, often innocent people, plead for five because the risk is too great. That is fundamentally unjust. But that is the way most things in our legal system happen because it's so overtaxed. And then you add to that the fact that those who can afford the best lawyers have the best chance. Obviously, we have the rights to provide public defenders, and we have public defenders that work very hard. But the problem for public defenders is that they have a caseload that is more than any one person can bear, and they have very limited resources in what they can do. So they're showing up with a, to, uh, to a trial with a knife when the prosecution has a tank. That might make us uncomfortable because we would like to live in the myth that everything out there is just working. It ain't. I am in no way suggesting that this is your fault. I am in no way suggesting that this is our 
default, that any of us would want it to be this way. And I am recognizing that we live in a complex machine. What could one person do? I'm a tiny cog in this bigger thing. How could anything ever change? And I don't know. But I'll say again, it's easy to not care until it's you. And I'm only saying this to maybe peel back the curtain for ourselves to say that maybe there are things like this all around us. And God just wants us to be the kinds of people whose hands are at the ready if there was something that we could do. And church history is full of whiffs on this. What God's people could have done, but they chose to look the other way. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm a little tiny piece in a big machine, and our church is a little tiny piece in a greater thing. All I'm trying to do is stand before God and, and, and be able to say to him, I did my best to try to disciple these people well. That's all I'm trying to do. Amos wasn't the only person to pronounce woes against injustice. We're going to be done soon. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And he could have just stopped there, but he decided to get one more dig in. He says, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. <laughs> okay, the, the, the imagery is supposed to be ludicrous. Now, we don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but what Jesus is, is doing is pointing out that the scribes and Pharisees' attention to religious detail was admirable. Everyone, that was, everyone in, in, in the Jewish society at the time would have looked and said, if anyone really wants to obey God, if anyone really wants to follow God, if anyone really wants to do what's right, it's the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, you want to talk about, you want to talk about attention to detail and tithing. Okay, there's, there's, there's the 10% tithe that they, were, that they were required to give under the Old Testament law, but then there is the going out to the garden. Can you imagine snipping a few fragments of mint from your garden, laying it out on your cutting board, and then making sure that you carefully separate 10% of that to give? That's attention to detail. And Jesus doesn't say, don't care about any of that kind of stuff. He actually says, these you ought to have done, but without neglecting the other, because it is possible for us to, to be fully devoted to obeying God in every tiny detail and totally miss the point. 
Somebody asked Jesus, if you could sum up the law with one thing, what would you say? And it was simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Which means that every single aspect of the law, every single expression of God's will for us is meant to serve those two ends. And if our obedience is not serving those two ends, we are not obeying. Because we are to be people who deeply care. about justice and mercy and faithfulness. The true pursuit of justice is costly, which is why it's difficult to engage with. Just ask Jesus. Jesus enters into the injustice of this world and experiences it himself. To the point that he is put to death for sins that are not his. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, some translations put it. And why would he do that? That he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus' sacrifice makes a way for us to be forgiven. And if you are here with us this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus, then we would invite you where you are sitting in this moment to consider the injustices of your own heart and then to consider the fact that Jesus came to experience all of the injustices of the cross so that he could save you and bring you into relationship with God. You can repent of your sins right where you are sitting and put your faith in Christ and you can be turn- have your life radically changed so that you now live as a citizen of Jesus' forever kingdom. And for those of us who are Christians, Let us cultivate both God's heart and his hands for righteousness and justice. Let us be known for justice and mercy and faithfulness. Let us be a small taste of that ever-flowing stream. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer is that you would make us people of the kingdom. And people of the kingdom are often living at odds with the earthly kingdoms. We often find ourselves homeless. We often don't fit in. Lord, forgive us for settling in too comfortably. Forgiving us for being discipled more by our culture than we are by scripture. Lord, give us the same heart that you have for mercy and justice and righteousness. Let us cultivate your heart and your hands. 
there is someone here who does not know Christ, I pray that you would liberate them from the bonds of sin in this moment and fuse them with new life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.